0: Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Leto. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and I mentioned a story, something that happened to me early in my legal career. And I realized, I don't think I've ever done a full video on it. I think I've mentioned it before in passing. But I've represented hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of people uh, with consumer cases involving cars. And a vast majority of them are Lemon Law cases. It's all I do right now is Lemon Law. I've been in law for 32 years. And very, very early in my career, very early in my career, I bought a used 1992 IROC Daytona. And if you don't know what the car is, look it up. They're kind of cool. And um, I bought it used. And that's important to the story because I eventually wound up working at a deal where essentially... Chrysler bought it back from me because it was so defective. And so people have said, Steve, have you ever had a lemon? A lemon. Well, technically it wasn't a lemon, but it was as close as you could get with a used car. <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, I, I came back from California, started practicing law, and I, and I traded in a car on this one. And it was relatively late model when I got it. So it's a 1992 IROC Daytona, bright red. And the iRock Daytona had a dual overhead cam, 16-valve engine called a Turbo 3, Roman numeral 3. And it was partially designed by Lotus. Okay, a very, very cool engine. And so I bought the car with that engine and very fairly low mileage when I bought it. And so it's still under the warranty from Chrysler. Extremely important to the story. So I buy this car. I'm driving this car. I can still vividly remember when it happened, where I was and everything. Driving down the road and the car dies, and the tachometer goes immediately to zero as I'm still coasting. And it's a manual transmission, so I very quickly put it in neutral and coasting along. And you know that if you're driving a car and the engine stalls, it's a manual, you can try popping the clutch to see if you can get the engine to restart. And I tried that, and it didn't do anything. And also, I noticed that the tachometer did not move. So if you were in a car, And you did that, the tack should jump because although the engine's not running, it would be turning over. So I immediately thought, oh, I think I broke the timing belt. And this car had a timing belt, not a chain, a timing belt. And that, of course, is part of the problem. And so I I called and I had it towed to the local dealer. And and I said, I believe it's got a timing belt broken. Uh, So there you go. And it's under warranty. So they replaced the timing belt. And by the way, I've often told the story about how I had to argue with these guys a couple of times when I'd say, oh, the timing belt broke while I was driving. And they would write on the order, no crank, no start. And I'd say, well, no, I, I never even tried to crank it or start it. I was driving when it died. Yeah, but we put no crank, no start for the mechanic to start. I go, why do you just write down it's got a broken timing belt? Save the guy five minutes. No, no, no. We, no crank, no start. It's code. I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> they put a new timing belt in the car. I start driving the car again. And I believe it was 2,000 miles later, but it may have been four. But a substantially small number of miles later, I was driving along and it happened again. Driving along, boom. Car dies. tack goes to zero. I'm still doing whatever I'm doing. One time it died on the freeway. I was doing 55, 60 miles an hour and it did that. And um, called the dealership, towed in, broken timing belt. Guy goes, oh. I go, it's, it's happened before, it's the exact same thing. I think it was 4,000 miles later, it happened a third time. And it was like clockwork, 4,000 miles, 4,000 miles. Like clockwork. It's breaking timing belts, snapping timing belts. And I asked the guy about the car, and the guy goes, well, it's kind of an unusual car. We don't see a lot of these things around. And it turns out they didn't build that many of them because it was the 1992 IROC Daytona, with that turbo 3 engine i believe it was in the hundreds of vehicles they built that were equipped that way guys we don't see them that often and part of the problem is it's a dual overhead cam with a timing belt that's about yay long it's just this monstrously long timing belt and so i assume that had something to do with it and and so as a car guy i'm thinking well the timing belts aren't bad Maybe there's like a burr on one of the gears at the end of one of the camshafts or something. And that just it wears it out. But it happened, like I said, at 4,000 miles. So there's something inherently wrong with that engine. I didn't know what it was. So at that time, I dealt with Chrysler and an attorney that I got to know very, very well. And I called him up and I said, hey, uh, I got a problem. I, I've got a Dodge IROC Daytona 1992. The thing eats timing belts. Every 4,000 miles. And he goes, oh, you're kidding me. I go, no. I go, "Uh, I bought it used. I go, so it's not going to be a lemon. I said, however, and again, always try to think of a way to make the other side want to help you. I said, I believe it costs you guys a fortune every single time this happens because I bring it in under warranty. And your guys spend, I don't know, six, eight, ten hours replacing that timing belt. I don't know, but it's something like that. I said, and if I keep this vehicle, and it's still well within warranty, and every 4,000 miles, the timing belt breaks, you're paying for the towing and the new belt, and it's just going to happen again, happen again, happen again. I go, you guys are going to go broke fixing this thing. (laughs) And remember, Chrysler went broke before. And uh, he goes, "Uh, so what are you thinking? Now, here's the deal. I... Didn't think I could get them to buy it back from me, literally, where they take the vehicle back and give me all my money back. I didn't think that was going to happen. But at the time, Chrysler would offer us cash settlements where they'd say, we'll give your client cash to go away. And they would often say, if your client wants another Chrysler product, we'll give them more, but in the form of a coupon, which is like a check that's good at a Chrysler dealer towards another product. I said, I'm actually looking and I want to get a Chrysler product. And he goes, really, what are you looking at? I go, a Jeep Wrangler. And at that time, when Chrysler bought something back or gave you a coupon like that, they would tell you that if you're getting a coupon, it didn't matter if you stayed with the same brand. So I was not required to use the coupon I got for a Dodge product on a Dodge product. And I said, I believe that you let me use that coupon on a Jeep, right? And the guy goes, absolutely. I said, so what I want from you is a coupon that will allow me to take that vehicle back and trade it in on a Jeep. And I want the coupon to make up for the loss I'm going to take on the vehicle because I put some miles on it. And if they pull the warranty history, it's going to get ugly. (laughs) And he gave me a substantial, substantial coupon. Several reasons. One is that he knew me, worked with me, and he felt sorry for me. Number two they would have spent a ton of money fixing that vehicle if they left it in my possession. And then I was buying another Chrysler product. And I thought, well, you know, this 1992 IROC Daytona has a problem, but the Jeep Wrangler, which, by the way, I got was a fabulous vehicle. I loved that thing. I drove that thing for quite a while, got my fun out of it, and then I sold it later and moved on. But so I got Chrysler in essence, to buy the vehicle back from me. And I often tell people this is a poor man's buyback because if they don't want to buy your vehicle back from you, you can trade the vehicle in. It's got value, right? And so long as they give you enough money to make up the loss, they give you enough money, it becomes the equivalent of a buyback. So who cares? So who cares? So I went back to the dealership I bought the vehicle from. I said, just to let you know, uh, I talked to Chrysler about a little problem I'm having with it under warranty. And uh, they gave me this coupon. I showed it to the guy. And the guy goes, oh, yeah, we see these from time to time. I go, they gave me the coupon. I go, I want to get a Jeep Wrangler. And I want to trade this in with the coupon on that. The guy said, great. We worked it out. And so it was the equivalent of a buyback, although not done the exact same way with paperwork. So here's the thing. Years later, I'm telling people this story. And I'd have people go, but Steve, what was wrong with that car? What, What was it? That was the problem with that car. Why was it eating the timing belts? And I was curious. So I would go on the internet when I was bored and start poking around and doing searches. And I finally found a reference to what was wrong with that car. And it wasn't just mine. It was all of them. But they only built a couple hundred of them. A few hundred. So I found on a website called Allpar. A-L-L-P-A-R. Allpar. Which is all kinds of extremely in-depth information about Mopar vehicles. And they've got a whole section in there on the Daytonas and the history of the Daytonas. And I actually owned three or four of them in my life. I had a black one and I had two red ones. I think I had three. And so I found a reference where they actually interviewed a guy who worked on these vehicles. And from All Power, it says the main problem was with the Turbo 3 was its tendency to go through timing belts. <laughs> oh, The timing belt tension had to be set so high to overcome toe roping of the timing belt, i.e. the timing belt going into negative tension. Toe roping is a belt killer. The problem was caused by the extremely low valve train friction from using roller rockers combined with a dual overhead cam. When an exhaust valve rocker goes over the nose of the camshaft, there is no friction to slow it down, and it tries to close the valve faster, causing the exhaust cam sprocket to rotate clockwise faster and decrease the tension in the belt span between the sprockets. With a bucket tappet, which is used on most dual overhead cam four cylinders, there is friction. On the eight-valve single overhead cam engine, there's an intake lobe on the same camshaft coming up to help out. So we had to crank up the initial belt tension to solve the problem. An automatic belt tensioner would probably have helped, but belt life is probably improved if people watch their belt tension and keep it within specs. So the only way that this engine would run without snapping those belts was to keep an eye on the belt tension and constantly be adjusting it and so apparently within four thousand miles of replacement that's about when it went out of spec and snapped the belt so what's fascinating about this is that when you've got something happens to you and it's only happened to you no one else you know you're like oh i'm all alone in this great big world (laughs) and then you go and you find the all-par site and the subsection talking about the Turbo 3 belt problems. And you're like, oh my gosh, these people know me. <laughs> and it explains the problem. And it's not something I ever would have guessed. I suspected it had something to do with the fact that it's a dual overhead cam because the belt was so long going around this weird circuit. But, like I said at the very, very beginning, uh, Chrysler, Dodge, had approached Lotus and said, we want to put a dual overhead cam, four valve per cylinder head on this engine. Can you help us with that? And so they did help them with that. But I'm sure you understand that there's all kinds of constraints and limitations and so on they encounter when working on vehicles like this. And so jamming all that stuff in that little tiny space of the engine compartment of that car uh, wound up with that problem. And uh, I think those engines were only on the road for one year, maybe two. But there's very few of them left. I was at a car show a few years ago at Auburn Hills at Chrysler's World Headquarters. uh, And I saw one of these cars in immaculate condition. I couldn't find the owner, though. I wanted to talk to the owner about the timing belts. (laughs) It was not my car, by the way. I'm pretty certain of that. But I suspect the vast majority of these cars are in junkyards now. But... That's a story about how I got Chrysler, in essence, to buy back a used car from me, even though it didn't qualify directly under Michigan's lemon law. There you go. Questions or comments, put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Leto's Law. Be like a postage stamp. Stick to one thing until you get there.